Just a warning, this episode contains adult themes and language. So here I go again, back down to Morenci. Um, I don't even know what number trip this is for me, but uh, still heavily in pursuit of the Skelton family. So repeated phone calls, uh, unanswered um, messages. Police reported head. Uh, messages not returned. Um, so, you know, uh, my plan is to knock on some doors and see what happens. And here we are on a dirt road, which you can probably hear. In a quarter of a mile, you'll arrive. This house is listed, um, as, uh, I believe to a cousin of John Skelton. Um, and I believe that, uh, the aunt and uncle and cousins all live kind of on the same, I don't know if it's plot of land, but next door to each other at least, so. Yeah, hi, are you related to John Skelton by chance? Yeah. From your husband? I'm just, I'm doing a podcast about the Skelton boys, and so far, obviously, it's a lot of Tanya and her family, and I'm trying to tell the whole story and get perspective, not to say on the other side, but basically on the other side, Mm -hmm. and, um... So I was out this way, and I figured I would just drop by and see if anyone's willing to talk. His aunt lives across the road. Right there? Oh, okay. Do you know if she's home by chance? Oh, well, she she was. She'll be back in a minute, probably. Okay. She probably just ran to town. Can I talk to you for a couple minutes? I'm getting ready to leave right now. Just for, like, two minutes? I ain't got it. Um, I'll get back to work. All right. Is it okay if I hang out here for a minute? Yeah. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you. To be honest with you, I feel kind of creepy sitting here um, on this narrow dirt road, kind of off to the side of it, um, just kind of staking the house out. All right, it looks like um, the ant is uh, home. So we're going to go ahead and try our luck and see what happens. Hello? I'm doing a podcast about the uh, Skelton Boys, and uh, basically I'm just talking, I'm trying to talk to John's family, which I haven't had much luck with. Well, I'm not interested. Well, I'm just trying, what I'm trying to do is, because we're, everyone's told Tanya's stories, I'm trying to tell John's family's side of the story. Nah, it always gets screwed around to where he's the bad guy, and all he's trying to do is help his boys. Can you give me two minutes? Yep. I left the area for a bit, but a short time later returned. A car, one that wasn't around before, was now parked in the driveway next door to the original house that I walked up to. As I moved towards the door, the woman I first spoke to, she quickly gets in front of me. It's not going to give up, are you? Unfortunately, it's my job, right? I know, but you know what? No one wants to listen to none of us before and all this shit happened. Now all of a sudden, everybody wants to listen to Tanya. Hang on, I'll see if she's on. She slips inside. I can hear her warning whoever's inside this house. No, you need to leave. I'm I'm not trying to harass anyone. I'm just You need to leave. If you come back here again, I'm calling the cops. That's fine. You need to go. 
That's fine. I'm not sure what the animosity is for. I, I, I've never done anything to anybody. I'm just asking Because questions. when we were going to do this years ago, when it first came out, nobody wanted nothing to do with it. Right. And I, I wasn't here at that time. I'm not, I'm not... Okay, well, we're not doing this. I have seven little kids. They don't need to know nothing. Okay. Okay. Well, Goodbye. Go on your way. Thank you. Welcome back to Shattered. That trip to Morency took place back in September 21st, 2017. It was the last contact I had with any of John's family here in Michigan. I'd done it. I'd exhausted all local skeleton leads. Called every number, knocked on every door. I chased down every lead I could. Alright, so I'm here in the airport, getting ready to go down to Jacksonville. Um, this time we look for answers from John's mom, dad, and sister. This time, we head to Florida. To activate the flow of oxygen, pull down on the mask until the plastic tubing is fully extended. Place this mask over your nose and mouth and breathe normally. Secure the mask using the elastic. Before we get into this, I'm going to ask something of you. Something that will be almost impossible. I want you to forget everything you know about this story. It was actually John pretending to be a woman named Joanne Taylor. People don't understand. This is what this man has done in the past. Could there be any validity to John's story that that Tanya was in fact abusive in multiple ways to the children? There's certainly no in- information that uh, that's involved in this investigation that indicates that whatsoever. I want you to forget all of that. Because before you heard any of it, you had a fresh perspective. Since then, you've heard stories, mostly from one point of view. But today, you'll hear accounts of the exact same events, but it's going to sound much different, and you need to allow yourself to listen without bias. Some of the things you're going to hear will seem outlandish, and they might be just that. But John's family needs to be heard in their own words. I took a day trip to Florida not long ago, hoping to talk to John's mom, Roxanne, dad, William, and sister, Lucinda who all live in his hometown, Jacksonville. Tanya's family and friends have provided the voices associated with this case, because they're all still located in Morency. John's family has been relatively quiet, and from what I can tell, that's mainly because those closest to him live about a thousand miles away. Stepping out of the airport into the Florida heat, which was about 50 degrees warmer than the crisp air I left in Detroit, I try to slow the pace of my racing mind. I'm here. This is really happening. But would it really happen? That was my main concern. What if I made the long journey for nothing? What if they turned me away and what if it was more of this? You need to leave. If you come back here again, I'm calling the cops. They could easily chase me away. And then what? I'm in the rental car now, psyching myself up, just telling myself the worst that could happen is they ask me to go. There are two addresses I'm interested in down here. There's the one being Roxanne and William's home, but after looking at the house on Google Maps, I wonder if it's really an option. They have a fence and a gate blocking the driveway. To enter the property seems really intrusive. The second option is William's gas and diesel repair shop. It's definitely more accessible. But the Google Street view of this property is a bit unsettling. In fact, my wife got a a look of it, and she was nervous for me after seeing it. But I convinced myself the shop is where I'll begin. All right. Just around the corner from William Skelton's place of business. It's a 
gas and diesel motor shop um, located here on the outskirts of Jacksonville. I have to drive past the place because the dirt drive is jam-packed with vehicles. Cars, trucks, vans, some RVs. As I walk into the yard, I see an older man. He's very thin, gray hair. Deep, dark tan. He's got those lines in his face that, you know, the sun provides after years of weathering. When I look at him, I see John Skelton in about 20 to 30 years. Hello. How are you doing? Is William around? Hey. Hey, William. Hi. I'm Jeremy Olfen. I explain the podcast to him. I also tell him why it's important for me to get his story. We work our way over to a small white office building. The lot is dirt, and there are cats darting in between cars. John Sr. smokes a cigar as we find two chairs on the paved walkway leading up to the office door. He explains to me that the family calls the John Skelton that you're all familiar with John Russell, which is his middle name. John Sr. goes by just John. But for the sake of simplicity, we're going to call him Sr. And he starts talking about his distrust of the prison system in Michigan. Uh, especially their term, correctional institution. Uh, it's more like a segregation compound. is what we see from down here. And of course, you know, I don't know all the internal things they're doing and how much validity there was to this last thing. I don't know. He spent a few months in solitary type environment because uh, they were doing investigations. Mm -hmm. He gives me a look as if to call BS on the word investigations. When the whole thing first happened, um, what were your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts? I'd kick him in right in the ass if I could have. He was in the <clears throat> Senior was upset with his son because of the way he handled the police prior to the boy's disappearance. John Russell went to Chief Weeks and complained about Tanya molesting their sons, but Weeks didn't seem to want to help. That's according to John Sr. The police uh, chief up there in Marencia offered to put him in jail because he knew of this child molestation was going on by his wife to their sons because he knew about it. And I think that was an intimidation thing there to shut him up. And <clears throat> I've chewed him out since then because he should have gone to the state police. He should have known better. Just common sense you know if you don't get satisfaction at one place go to another place but don't tell either place that she was there and geez if i had to do it one time do it again i found some old video of the younger john talking about the claims of abuse falling on deaf ears this was in a courtroom back in 2011. i would have done things differently if i felt that the system didn't fail me if i didn't feel like the people who were supposed to have done something uh, didn't choose friendship over, uh, over their duty. It's kind of hard to hear. John says, I would have done things differently if I felt the system didn't fail me. If I didn't feel like the people who were supposed to have done something didn't choose friendship over their duty. John Russell's claim has been that Tanya, the boy's own mother, was sexually abusing them. I gave her the benefit of the doubt. But uh, me being down here and they up there, you don't know. Right. But uh, my, my son got really concerned about it when he caught him one time and really talked to his mother in depth about it. So while Senior and I sit talking, Lucinda, John's sister, she shows up. Lucinda Ford, L-U-C-I-N-D-A-F-O-R-D. Your family 
especially the family that I've had the brief interaction with up in uh, Morency, feels like they've been misrepresented. Yes, Is we that all do. across the board? Yes, you all we do. all do. No one's listened to us. Everything was just what Chief Weeks and Tanya's family said, and Tanya herself, and the spokesperson that they had there at the beginning, and no one's listened to us. Everything we've said has just been pushed under a rug. It's not been credited at all. Now, some people are saying, well, the reason that they haven't been listened to is because it seems far-fetched, this story. Right. It does. <laughs> it does. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. But does it not seem so far-fetched if you know John? No. It's something that John, if he puts his mind to it, he's pretty determined on doing something. Very smart. Like, what, what, what tipped you off to him, like, growing up with him, that you knew he was that smart? Just, just him. He, he was just a unique little boy growing up. What's the age difference? Uh, there's um, 11 months between us. Between He's older? I'm not the oldest. Oh, you're the oldest? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm the oldest. Um, all right, so growing up with John, what was that like? Rough. <laughs> he, he wanted to be the brains and I had to be the brawl. So really? <laughs> I was the tough one. He was the one that wanted to read books and do nothing else but be a nerd. Me, I wanted to fight and get in trouble. So he would... He would we switched gears and started talking about Tanya. No. 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 Okay. Well, that my face... feelings have never been a secret. I don't believe a child molester will ever change. And she was one before she had children with my brother, and she's probably still doing it. I called the authorities to find out about the legality and the proof of her inappropriate actions with her boys. That's Roxanne, John's mom. A lot of things came up missing. She also doesn't have much faith in the police up in Michigan. She's convinced the police and Tanya have some kind of secret understanding. She also believes that Tanya was abusing the boys. You know, don't tell me that I'm a fool. I'm far from it. Yeah, I mean, so you totally believe that Tanya was definitely doing something to those children. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, like, what I'm getting from you guys is a lot, there's a lot that's not being put out in the public about Tanya. Correct. I was real concerned with John. And all the games Tanya played, I was very worried. When he'd call me and he'd be crying, and he'd say, Mom, uh, she tells me to come visit her at, on Monday night. I have to leave before the boys wake up for school. But we have sex and then the next day, she tells me she's taken the boys away, you know, and things like that. She just played games. I mean, and when... used the boys as leverage? Yeah, exactly, because she knew that the boys meant a lot to John. And so they were an easy target. And just to be 1,000% clear, you can't imagine John ever hurting his children. Never. Never in a million years, and I would give you my life if if that was any different we'll be right back senior says he's sure that his son didn't hurt the boys he even alleges that one night it was a few years back i was filling down here in jacksonville i was filling up one of my my other truck with fuel and I was, had my back there, and a gentleman come up behind me, and he asked me not to turn around and said, I know of your plight. I know your sons are okay. 
Really? And I says, thank you. Just to be clear, what Senior's saying is that someone showed up down in Jacksonville and instructed him not to turn around and proceeded to inform him that his grandkids were alive and safe. Senior's corroborating a son's story that Tanner, Andrew, and Alexander are with an underground group, safe and sound. That was it. You didn't turn around. <laughs> I know that you're being guarded on some of this stuff, right? Uh, yes. Yeah? I mean, you, you feel like you have an obligation to make sure that John's plan goes through or that those kids remain where they are. Yeah, and, until they become of legal age and when they come out and then the, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story comes out. And that's when it will come out? Yes. So the boys, when, when they become legal, when all of them become legal or when the oldest one becomes legal? Yeah. Not really sure yet? Not really sure yet. Do you know if, like, the plan is to have, uh, will the organization reach out to you guys and let you know, or uh, how does that work? I made that request uh, when this, you know, first started going. That I'd like to be contacted. I'd like to arrange a point where we could see the boys when it came time for turnover. They could be put in a hotel room, and those who were with them could be, should be gone locally out still spying still they're looking at everything we'd go in talk to them record things if we could and go from there i wanted to protect that party that had them just as much a lot of people think the story of john giving the kids away and then being hidden away for this long seems stranger than fiction if i'm being honest i'm one of those people even lucinda says it's a hard pill to swallow seems far-fetched, this story. Right. It does. <laughs> it does. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. The people that are, are going to question all this and say, well, there's no way that there's a group that can do this, and uh, that's impossible that like these kids haven't found the internet or a phone or something like that. What do you say to those kinds of... Well, I've, I've thought about that, to be very honest with you, because when I went on a TV and pleaded for my grandsons... And I said, Andrew, Alex, you both know how to use a phone. You know my phone number. You know your mom's. Give a call. Bring, drop them off somewhere, a police station, a McDonald's for health. You know, but you know a number. But then I got to thinking, I questioned that too. Why hasn't them boys, con- did anybody ever think maybe? they're happy where they're at? Hmm. I don't know, but maybe it's a better life than they were encountering. I never thought about that. I thought about it that way. I didn't either until one day I was just thinking about it because I mean, you know, my boys are old enough to be on the internet, to be have a telephone, to have a cell phone. And it pops in my head all the time. Why haven't they contacted somebody? Right. Maybe they're happy. Maybe. But before Andrew, Alexander, and Tanner went missing, many people believe that John was not happy. Um, Some people have said that he was a little bit depressed at the time. And I don't know if, if you remember back then, if you got that feeling from him. If he wasn't, he should have been from, you know, if he got the resu- kind of results that I understood that he got, you know, from 
like you know from the chief of police up there right and that this is all kind of happening right around that time then you're saying yeah this was really yeah you know when when i look at the big story from this end uh, somebody had to cover their butt somehow and they broke out uh, a brand new railroad system and he was the first passenger and psh, he got railroaded um the fbi when he was in ohio interrogated john of course when to he was know in the hospital yes and they he was under um psychiatric and everything and they were interrogating john had asked for his lawyer and they ignored that and it kept on and on and on i've i've got the paperwork of the transcript of that i asked to see those papers and roxanne said that they weren't easily accessible and my son was to the point they didn't let him sleep they didn't let him bathe they didn't let him do nothing he called me he said Mom. Hold on one second i'm so sorry the camera overheated here but it cooled down just a moment later roxanne continues her story so john calls his mom and uh he told me he had urinated on himself and all this stuff and it ups it upset me very much and i told my husband i said john i've got to go up there they were treating him so bad not i mean so bad does he feel like he's being treated fairly in the no. prison system? No. No, he's not. Can you speak more specifically to what he There's, doesn't like? There was no reason to be in segregation for four years. So as I'm talking to the family, I find out that John is out of segregation. They tell me they can now call John on the phone. You don't put someone in segregation for four years, and the excuse they keep giving it, oh, it's an ongoing case. It's an ongoing case. There was a moment in... I should say there were many moments that struck me. Moments when I had to consciously tell myself to keep it together. Things were said that shook me, and one in particular took me back to a concept that I'd heard many, many times before. This is Tanya talking about John. If he's continued to play the selfish, haha, I won, because I know and you don't, I don't know if I'll ever know in this lifetime. Now here's lead investigator Jeremy Brewer. You have three boys who were the victims of um, his um, his selfish attitude and his um, his narcissism. And now here's John's father. I'm a hundred percent confident that the course we took is well planned. You're a hundred percent confident that your son is telling the truth. Yes. And I think that's the important thing in all this is. I think everyone's waiting to find out if John's telling the truth, right? Of course they are. Yeah. And then it's going to, who's going to get the last laugh? Crazy, right? He said to tell you that his boys are safe and sound. That was Roxanne in 2010. And here's what she says now. This is seven years later. His kids are fine. I know this as a grandmother. I have a grandmother's heart, and I know this. I don't know where they are. If I did, they wouldn't be there. But right, because that—that's what some Lucinda said. Well, even like if the story is true with John, because I don't know. Yeah. If the story is true, I don't know. <laughs> right. 
Well, they say it's 100%. You, do you feel 100% that John gave the kids to somebody? Yes. You do believe that? Yes. And you believe that those kids are safe with yes. whoever that group is? Yes. And, and I think when those kids are of age, those kids will come out of wherever they are, and they'll either seek me or they'll seek their father. Um, not asking who these people are, but have you had communication with these people? I have not. No. I wish I had. Because what? Because you said things would be different. You would if definitely. You, if you did, you would have. You would have gone and got the kids. Exactly. Regardless of what happened with Tanya. This may not have been the best way to handle it, giving the kids to somebody else. That's the perspective of many people saying maybe there's a I agree. Way. Yes. I agree 100%. What my son did was irresponsible and stupid. I asked Roxanne about the interview she did back in 2010 when she said the boys were fine. I wondered what made her so sure. All he told us was that the boys were fine, that they will grow up to be good, good men. They were fine for me not to worry about them boys. So that's all he told me. Now, John, because we didn't have dual phones, mm -hmm. I don't know what he told Right, you couldn't John. hear that, right? No. So you, you believe that to this day, those boys I are fine? I believe those boys are fine. You believe that or do you want to believe that? No, I believe it. I believe it full in my heart. I believe it totally, 100% that them boys are fine. Do you feel like your son has had part of his life stolen um, because, because he was trying to do the right thing? Yes, I do. I think he feels that she took everything from him, including his dignity and the life of the, just the love of his life, which was his boys, because he had to protect them. He, he can't be with them either. So it took him, you know, neither, nobody won. Right. What would you give right now though, to be able to hug and hold those boys though? <laughs> there ain't no time that I don't think of them boys, especially December the 1st of every year. I put my Christmas tree up on that day. And the last thing those boys, gave me was three ornaments. One's green, one's red, and one's blue. And they've got their handprints on them that they made out of, made snowmen out of. And you know, it's funny because when we discovered seven years ago, the when the incident happened, my daughter and I went to Black Friday. And I thought, you know, this year I'm going to put my tree up early. I never put it up before December the 1st ever in all the years that I've been married. Mm -hmm. I put it up and I got a call from my sister-in-law saying that my grandsons were gone and my son, you know, all this happened. I hit the floor because I couldn't believe this. I couldn't believe what was happening. And I was putting the ornaments on my tree. 
and I swore never again would my tree ever go up before December the 1st. And they're the first ornaments that go on my tree every year. I know I asked you all to forget. I tried to. But when I got to Jacksonville, I thought, I'm going to talk with the villain's parents. But as I sit here, I see a grandmother. I see a human being who has been lied to by someone. I see a mother whose heart has been broken. Where are you now, emotionally? Well, I think where I am is I accept that my son's put away. I talk to him every week. Now, he's mm-hmm. been in segregation, so he couldn't. But I talk to him, and I, the last thing I say to my son is remember who you are, where you came from, and what you're all about. And I let him know I love him. I don't support what my son did because that to me, being a mother, that's just, I have a hard time with that. But I understand emotionally how somebody could do it, you know. That makes sense to you. Yeah, because... I would protect my children under all circumstances. Even my kids now being in their 40s, I'm going to protect my children. Mm-hmm. I, that's just the way I'm made. A picture was painted early in this process. A picture of a family fractured and less than whole. The skeletons were supposed to be scary and angry. They were supposed to be detached and uninterested. The picture I was sold, intentionally or not, was of a group of people who didn't seem to care. I have my time. The holidays, their birthdays, I have a real hard time. But I work through it and say, they'll be back. They'll come see me and I'll know that they'll be, they're okay. I know that they're okay. Sometimes at the holidays, I think, are they, are they having Christmas? What did they get for Christmas today? Because the hardest thing I ever did was the year that they went away, having to replace, uh, take back all the presents I had bought that Black Friday. So I have a hard time sometimes, but overall, I've accepted it. Yeah. And I have I have to accept it to survive it. If if we're looking at a victim in this of the people that are still around um, that we see every day, I mean, is there a victim or is it just the boys that were victims in a kind of a messed up household for a little while? I think I think the boys are the victim. It's been hard for us. We've got a lot of rash and a lot of 
terrible things. But my son did, created this. My son has to pay the price of it. And that, whether it's right or wrong, he's still, he's responsible. He has to take the responsibility and do what needs to be done. So I think only the boys are the victims because they've lost, they've, they're protected, but they're missing out on two grandparents that love them and an aunt and a daddy that loves them dearly. And I'm sure Tanya loves them too. I mean, you know, Everyone's a victim, I guess, in one way or the other. On the next episode of Shattered... Good evening to you tonight from Morency, where we have been able to confirm those remains found earlier in Missoula, Montana, are now being analyzed. They're being analyzed by experts at the University of North Texas in Denton. Someone in Missoula, Montana, found a box of bone fragments in a storage shed. Experts in Montana then determined the bones belonged to three children between the ages of two and 10 years old. DNA testing now underway to find some answers. If you have any information about the case, please call Lieutenant Detective Jeremy Brewer at 517-636-0689, and that's right into my desk phone. If you'd like to see more, go to shatteredpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Shattered Podcast. Shattered Podcast.